0: Aren't those pretty flowers? Uh It looks like a Mother's Day. (laughs) Well, you know what? There's a story of the clock in the back of the church. We always have a clock here too. But this one clock was known for its inability to keep time. Never kept time accurately. Sometimes it would go too fast and sometimes it would be too slow. And people were always kind of um, playing with it, and you know, messing with the hands of the clock. You know, pushing my head or pulling them back a little bit. Finally, the preacher just placed a a, a sign over the clock, and it said, "Don't blame the hands; the trouble goes much deeper." <laughs> and there are a lot of problems out in the world, isn't there? The real reason, though, we know, we know what lies deeper than just what we see, this outward circumstance, can be summed up in one word, That three-letter word, S-I-N, sin. What is sin? Of course, Westminster Catechism says it's any lack of conformity to the transgression of the law of God. Anything that doesn't conform to the law of God. Um, it's something that is contrary to holiness. It contradicts holiness and the justice of God. That's sin. Or it's missing the standard of righteousness. As some say, missing the mark, right? The standard. One thing about Christianity that stands out head and shoulders above any religion, and there are a lot of things, aren't there? But one of them, and one major one, is that sins can be forgiven, whereas other religions don't offer it that or they don't even talk about sin there's no such thing as sin some of the eastern religions but the very lifeblood of the christian message is forgiveness forgiveness of sins and of course this is the message that jesus gave as we study the gospels it's the message that the apostles gave it is the message of the bible You'll see it in the Old Testament. You'll see it in the New Testament. And this is what is set forth in this section that we're dealing with today: forgiveness of sins. Your sins are forgiven. That's our title today. It's pretty ringing when you think about it. Just, just think for a moment on that. You know, we take it for granted, and we know that. And, and yeah, you know, we we ponder on it a little bit, but ponder on it deeply. Think about it. Your sins are forgiven. It's what we hear in this passage today. We should be amazed <laughs> every day, every moment, the fact that our sins are forgiven. Are forgiven right now in this life. and Forgiven all the way through eternity. From here on out, our sins have been forgiven. They will never be held against us as far as getting into the presence of God. So we have a blessed benefit in the present time and on into the future, Uh, unless you understand sin, you won't know the consequences of sin. But when you understand it, you see the consequences, and you'll see that people will be held in their sins forever. That's pretty powerful when one really realizes that if one remains in their sin, that's where they will stay. You have to understand God's grace when you deal with forgiveness of sins. And uh, not our goodness, but His grace. And He uses grace as a means to forgive sinners. Sinners like like us. This is the glory of heaven, isn't it? This is the good news. Good news is that your sins are taken away this is the message that goes right on through the story of redemption all the way through the Bible forgiveness is offered starting at Genesis 3 we see the doctrine of forgiveness and yet most people miss it most people miss it because they don't even understand Genesis 3 and the sin problem that we have so this is our focus today and I would say it's an extremely important subject as we encounter this. We want to put our hearts and our minds on this topic. So let's uh, eagerly grab our Bibles, turn to Luke 5. We're at 17-26, through and we'll read that section. This is Jesus, folks. He is the star of this Bible, isn't He? It's always about Him. It's what He does. Verse 17, One day He was teaching... There were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. The power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. Some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. They were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. <laughs> Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who oh, is this man? He speaks blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins have been forgiven you? Or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home immediately got up before them, picked up what had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And they were all struck with astonishment, began glorifying God, and they were filled with fear, saying, We have seen remarkable things today. Dear Heavenly Father, remarkable things. Amazed, astonished was that crowd and so are we. Every time we look at another Gospel lesson, we are amazed at You. We stand in awe, Lord, we are also fearful because we know You're a holy God. Only God can do that. Only God can forgive sins. God is the One who has the power to bring life into mankind, to take away those sins. Thank You, Lord, for Your justice, Your holiness. Also, thank You for Your mercy and grace and Your love, which forgives our sins. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Get right into uh, verse 17 here. What a topic! We're in Luke, and as you know, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are have a lot of similarities. They're parallel Gospels. For the most part, what one has, the other one will have. Not always, but usually that's the case. And uh, if you harmonize here, Matthew 9 and Mark 2 with our Luke passage, you get a full-orbed story. It's good to get the witnesses being able to elaborate. As you put them together and you get more of the fulfilled story. What One sees spit as he's inspired by the Spirit, the other one sees another angle and uh, and another angle, and that shows you they never colluded together to make sure that we get every word exactly the same. Um, They never contradict, but at the same time, they help add to the story. So that's what's good about these Gospels, and it just proves again that the authority of the Word is the authority. Uh, just for fun, we just read the Luke passage. Now, if you go to Matthew nine, it's it's a shorter story there in Matthew nine. Pick it up in um, verse one, not getting into a boat. Jesus crossed over the sea, came to his own city. They brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, "Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven." This is quick, isn't it? They didn't tell anything about the the roof or anything. Matthew just gets right to the point. You know about forgiveness of sins and such. Luke saw fit to, you know. Of course, Luke's a doctor, and he's kind of interested in, you know, and how all that happened. <laughs> So some of the scribes said to themselves, this fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth and forgives sins. Then He said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, go home. Got up, went home. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck, glorified God who had given such authority to men. So you see a little bit of a a difference there, something added to, some things that are subtracted, not subtracting from the word. Everything is there that Matthew is supposed to have. Then we we look at uh, Luke, um, uh, Mark, Mark chapter 2. Some more things here. When he came back to Capernaum. Now Matthew had said, I believe, that he came back to, um, we have one story where he came back to his own city, right? Matthew says that. Where was that? Well, Luke doesn't tell us. Matthew doesn't say, but what does Mark say? When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. It's jam-packed in there now. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to them because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their face, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in His spirit that they were reasoning that they were within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up, pick up your pallet, go home. And He got up, immediately picked up the pallet, went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Okay, a few things that you probably picked up that you didn't see in the other ones, right? And so this is being a, a setup. We piece this all together, helpful facts. We, are, we know that we're at Capernaum here now as we look at uh, the last reading, as Mark showed that. Uh, Capernaum is at the north tip of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, This is really the headquarters of Jesus from now on in His ministry. That's where He's going to stay. Where did He stay at? We don't know. But who lived in Capernaum? Well, Peter and Andrew lived in, in Capernaum. That was probably their house. That would have been their headquarters. The ministry. We don't know for sure, but it would be a really good educated guess that that's probably where they were at. But they weren't there that much. They did show up in Capernaum a lot. Every time they come back, kind of touch base, and boom, off they would go again. Most of those, those three years were, were traveling years, but uh, we get a good idea. You know, Peter has a family here. He had a mother-in-law, didn't he? Who was sick, if you remember. We've already seen that story. Introduced to her. So that means if he has a mother-in-law, on this Mother's Day, there was also a wife who was uh, probably a mother. And who knows? We don't see anything about kids there, but I will tell you, that uh, being a a family man, probably eventually, if not at that time, uh, that would have uh, come into play. Uh, Today, you can go in this area in Capernaum, you find excavations that have been, and just taking it up into modern times, there's a place that is considered to be where Peter's house was. Uh, We don't know that for sure, but it's kind of interesting because the the first uh, house in Capernaum, according to... To history and tradition was actually at Peter's house, probably at Peter's house, and so whenever one house would get torn down, or whether it be battles, wars, whatever, they would build on top of where they'd been before. Actually, going to Israel, and you'll see tells, T E L. They're like, and they're like hills. They're they're built upon where another civilization had been and previous before that, and so they you'll have high tills. But if you dig into those, you'll find out ancient cities sometimes. And so this is probably where this is at. You know, churches were probably built on top of that one. So where Peter's house was at that time is basically the same area where you can look at today and see, oh, well, this is where he was at. So it's possible that Jesus stayed there. It's possible that's the house they're in. If that's the case it must be a pretty big house because you have people coming in there. You remember there were healings and people just kept coming and coming on that that Sabbath uh, after the Sabbath was over. Uh, So we do know it's the town Capernaum. We do know that it's very early on in the ministry of Jesus because uh, I believe we got the report that Jesus had gone to the Gadarenes. And you remember the Gadarene who had uh, demons in Him? And uh, you know, of course, the lived out in the graveyards. He was a just a wild man and everything with the demons living there. Jesus went there specifically and then he left and came back to Capernaum. Well, according to our accounts, uh, that would be very early in his Galilean ministry. So now we have background there. hope that helps. If it doesn't, we'll move on. If we tie in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 16... 18, This is the Gospel of John now. It's kind of interesting and it kind of tells us what's going on here. Uh, he healed on the Sabbath. It's very early and we uh, there's also a, a paralytic healing that he does in Jerusalem. Um, but he heals on the Sabbath. And now in John 5 verse 16 it says, For this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working on the Sabbath. For this reason, therefore, the Jews, look at this, were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, according to their rules, but also was calling God, his own Father, making himself equal with God. Can you imagine that? He's more or less saying, I am God. That's really what it is. That's why the Jews wanted to kill him. Because he claimed to be God. Well, that's really what he's all about, isn't it? How does he do these healings? How does he say the words that he says? How does he do what he does without being God? He's already proven it. So what do they want to do whenever He threatens their position? They want to kill Him. What what do they want to do in Nazareth? We've already seen in Luke. They wanted to kill Him. They tried to kill Him. Tried to push Him over the precipice of the hill there. So already they're trying to kill Him. So with with the, the pronouncement here that John has the Jews, really for the most part, are the leaders. They're the ones who would be the Pharisees, the authorities, the scribes, right? The lawyers. These are the guys that that uh, is being spoken about. One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there. Where do they come from? They're in, let's say, possibly Peter's house. Peter's a fisherman. These guys are the muckety muck. I mean, these guys are the higher up people and they're there in the house. Why are they there? To get a healing? No. They're there to get reason to kill Him. If you're a lawyer, you got to have evidence. And they're just waiting for Him just to slip up once. That's what they do the whole time, right? Um, so. He'd been down to Judea, then he had come to Galilee, done some ministry there. Um, we know in John chapter 2, which was very early in his ministry, he went to Jerusalem, went there at a feast. What was an action that he did? He went into the temple area. What did he do around the court of the Gentiles and such? He destroyed the tables and all the animals that were there for sacrifices. The people were being ripped off by the authorities there and taking in much more money than what it really should have cost them for sacrificial animals. The money changes that would cost you extra money to get the money that you just gave to to be able to buy sacrifices. And then that was hiked up. Boy, does that sound familiar in our world? people jack up the prices and make it more difficult for the ones who have difficulty already to make a living and that happens all over the world. so the, we can see that this this has been going on for you know like a year already. They wanted to kill him then just didn't have the power to do it. so he, he, he's ministering and, and uh, preaching teaching, the interest about him has just exploded. I mean, the crowds are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, there's no building that can hold these crowds. And of course, most of his work is being done in places uh, well, that are outside. He happens to be inside here. You can only get a few people here. Uh, houses, for the most part, were very, very small at that time, but this is probably one that's a, maybe a little bit bigger, especially if they did have a church there later on. Uh, Jesus, for all intents and purposes, really had banished illnesses there in the, in the time that He ministered in Israel. There were many more to go. But that's what He did. He cleared it all out. Everybody knows about this there 's not anybody in the, in in the country that doesn 't know i mean where you 've been if, if you, you haven 't heard about this Jesus just out and out offended people though offended the people sitting in the synagogue in his hometown in Nazareth. He went from town to town, and I have to wonder how many other people that he offended in those particular towns as he preached the same message. he offended the leaders most of all and they were the ones who represented the righteous people these guys were the elite they knew the word of god they really did i mean they read the word they could speak it verbatim incredible what some of these guys are that uh, you know it says here pharisees let's first kind of address the pharisees who are these Pharisees? The The word is parash in the original there. It means to separate. It means to be separated brethren, separated ones, because they were so close to the law. They taught it. They believed it every ounce. And so they wrote their own laws to interpret the law of God. And so what they got out of that was some kind of human invention. But uh, the Pharisees... Prided themselves in being separated, and they actually were very orthodox. They were very fundamental. For the most part, did you know they would believe exactly what you and I would believe? He said, What? No way. Well, they actually believed in the resurrection of the dead. They looked forward to that. It hadn't happened yet. They actually believed in angels, they believed in demons, they believed in the Messiah. They believed in the kingdom. It's pretty impressive. A lot of other things, and they believed in the, in the law, every word of it. You can say, "Well, I can identify with those guys." Then one problem, you know, and they focused on Israel. They were so concerned about it. they focused on Israel not violating the law. Well, that sounds good too, doesn't it? I mean, we don't want to violate God's law, right? But their invention they came up with was very complex. It distorted the Word of God. It wasn't the Word of God. And so there was an outward performance that they had. And whenever a Pharisee would walk by, people would just be going, oh, this guy, is he's a holy one. He's a righteous one. And these guys were so holy and righteous. Of course, some of you might remember they, they were called Bruised the blind and bleeding Pharisees. Because whenever they would look upon a woman, they didn't want to look upon the woman. They were so righteous, they'd cover their eyes and they'd run into walls. And they would just bleed themselves up. Anyway, it was very outward is what that kind of religion was about. Well, the teachers of the law... Who are the teachers of the law? Well, they're Pharisees, but there's a group within the Pharisees These guys are the scribes. Sometimes you'll you'll see that teachers of the law. The the scribes were the ones who would teach the law. Well, to teach the law you had to study the law. Did they know the law? They knew the law. They would in order to teach the law, you had to interpret the law. So as they interpreted the law, they get now their own meanings. Now we have to interpret Scripture, don't we? Sometimes when you see the law of God, especially in the Psalms and such, it means the Word of God, or it means the Old Testament. But these were the legal experts. So they're the group within the Pharisees. They're Pharisees, but these are the elite ones. These are the elite lawyers. They had a particular responsibility they were considered to be religious lawyers. They interpreted the law. When I went to them, they knew what it meant. They tell you they were the theologians. These guys were the elite in the nation. Matter of fact, they would be considered doctors of the law. They would be the PhDs among the lawyers. These guys knew their stuff, didn't they? These guys are sitting in this house. Can you imagine the grand seminaries sending their presidents into our little church to try to get us on something? <laughs> what, are, what are these guys doing here? <laughs> They're <gonna get> <laughs> Be careful, that could be true. <laughs> it, it, and, and it did happen, didn't it? You know what? This probably could be called. Now, I don't want to be reading into the text, but when we're really thinking about it, this is not normal for these guys to be here. They're here. They've been hearing a lot of things. Some of them have been seeing a lot of things. We got to get together. See, they're coming from where? All over. All the villages in Galilee. All the way to Jerusalem. All around, the leaders that who are all out. Of the country, have now colluded together. This is a high-level conference. Not saying it's just them only. It could be just them only, or you have some friends or people that have been around that know that Jesus is there and they're in there too. Could be a regular crowd, but these guys are front and center. Everybody knows. Everybody recognizes who these guys are because they wear. You know, like outfits that people would know how righteous they are. So all the various places, Jerusalem's like 70 miles away. You'd have to come the long way and go the popular right route from Jerusalem down to Jericho and then go up that way where you could avoid certain areas where... Uh, Samaritans would be living. They didn't want to come in there. I mean, these guys were really righteous to the T. I mean, every little point to the Mint and cumin, right? Every point. Um, Mark indicates that there were other people there as well. So it's a pretty good gathering. I have to wonder if this house would be as big as this place, or maybe a little bit bigger, huh? They're probably they got to be wall to wall, some sitting, some standing. Now you get the idea. When you put yourself into that, it becomes real. And this is not a fairy tale story. I mean, this is real. This really happened in history. And so, you know, they're very identifiable. They're just waiting for him to slip up, to indict him, give him the death penalty. So one day he's teaching. There were Pharisees, teachers of the law, sitting there. I, I think we should find that incredible. You know what? When you're first reading that, you go, okay. And you move on. Would you think anything about that? You start thinking about You go, what are these guys doing here? Teachers of the law, sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from the capital city, Jerusalem. That's big time. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. The power of the Lord is present. hes You have to remember that Jesus is God. He can always have that power to do that, but he's also incarnate in flesh and 100% man. That means there were certain things that he gave up. He never gave up his deity. He's always been God. He was always God even as a man. But there are certain things that he gave up, and where he is—he's always been in submission to the Father. He's the eternal Son, but as he is the Son, he prays to the Father, and he's only going to do His will. He's only going to do those miracles, the supernatural, only when God has told him. Well, God has been, Father has been telling him quite frequently. And we see here that the power of the Lord is there to perform healing. And you remember in Nazareth, he, there really wasn't much healing going to go on there, is because of His Father's will to get Him on out, get out of Nazareth, get out of town. So Jesus is God, never ceases, but He's submissive to the Father. On this occasion, the power of God is there. Get ready for a for a healing. I mean, this this is a big story. And uh, so he set a, sets aside the independent use of certain things that he would always have, and, and the Spirit there is in the form of to do things there through Christ. So that's verse 17. We go to verse 18 now. And some men... This is, the, this is where the story really gets, uh, gets going, doesn't it? And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed They were trying to bring him in to set him down in front of him. Well, Luke doesn't tell how many men; just says some men. They're definitely friends of his. We are also we are told that there are four of them. Four. Mark tells us that. I'm glad to know that. It's like there's a bed there. uh, The bed. It's any kind of a bed. It's a portable bed. Uh, You get, like, stretcher. You get pallet being used. You get uh, like some kind of a wooden frame. And this man's pretty heavy. You know, I mean, a man is going to be pretty heavy. You need probably one on each corner as this bed is. Otherwise, it would be hard for two men probably to carry this one man. Or if you had two on one side, then what are you going to do on the other? Just kind of drag him, you know? There are four men. That makes sense. And... It's amazing that this man would have these guys to do that. He, you know actually to have friends that would he's helpless. He can't, he's a paralytic. He's paralyzed. He cannot walk. Man could not move. The word paralyzed is uh, paraluo. Para is alongside, like parallel. Luo is to lose, to loose. Uh, to loose. He lost control of his body. That's kind of the idea, or it's feeble. If you looked in Hebrews twelve twelve, for instance, it says, "Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are paraluo, feeble." There, it's talking about a spiritual sense, you know, or you know, people who are in the need. Um, but there's a spiritual vitality that. People really get down. They really need encouragement, and so you know we're all commanded to do that uh, for people. But you know, there's a spiritual sense. Here's the physical sense. This this man's knees are feeble. Even more than that, it's uh, more than just the general where he can't walk. He's paralyzed. I admire these buddies of this paralytic. It would take time for them to be around the man and take care of him, how does he How does he eat, how does he just do the necessary things, how does he go to the bathroom, how, how does he do anything, how does he get fed, you guys know the story about Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata, won't do the story, but she's a paralytic, and of course I think that goes back to the, the 60's. And she's been quite the encourager to that community who have been paralytics. She's encourager to us all. What a woman of faith, right? And uh, at the same time, you know, she, she really has a relationship with the Lord, but she's had to have people wait on her ever since those days in her teen years when she was the swimmer and she dove off the diving board and. Uh, went down to the bottom. And uh, when she came back up, she had no movement, and she was paralyzed forever. Uh, quite a humbling situation. These guys there are helping Him out, and there's a crowd of people around. Whenever Jesus is anywhere, there's crowds. There's, there's a crowd outside. There must be lines of people outside this house. Jesus comes there, uh, and he's in the house and there he is. He's teaching. He's preaching. And they want to get into the house, to walk through the door, bring him and sit him right in front of Jesus where he's speaking. That's their idea. But according to these Gospel accounts they come to the, the door, they can't get inside the door. And there's people all around. and It's jam-packed. Nobody else gets in. That's the way it is. And so, and if there was a bouncer there, they just bounced those guys right back on out. Said, "Who are you? You know, you can't go in there." And, and we've got high-ranking officials in there. You know, what are you doing here? Doesn't say that. You can imagine. You know how people are. Anyway, um, what did they do? I'm amazed at these guys because they dared to do something that was really difficult. They had to carry him as well as his bed that he's on. They find that the doorway is blocked. They didn't know that. So usually at a house, there are stairs that go along outside and go up on the roof. And whenever it's hot at night, like in the 90s, (laughs) that's where they'd sleep at night on the roof. We'd have a little bit of a breeze and get a little bit more relief than you would... In the house, so that you know, some of you might remember the days where you had a screened-in front porch, mm-hmm. and you just go out there and sleep during the night. That's what a lot of people did back in the '50s, '60s. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, yeah. I did a few times. It got so bad. We didn't have an air conditioner, you know. So um, feels pretty comfortable in here when you start thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> But at any rate, um, that's what they would do. So they took him up, and it would be very narrow as they, you know, and the guys are backing up in this, on these, up these steps. It's a difficult task. It's not that easy. They didn't quit, they didn't give up. So they did something uh, difficult. They also did something very unorthodox. I hate to shock you, but shock you this wasn't the standard thing even back then I mean people just didn't go up on the roof and just say, hey I think I'll lower myself into the house uh, it was an odd thing to do and it uh, was not customary it's completely out of the ordinary it's not really acceptable and it's interesting that Jesus doesn't even rebuke them. <laughs> and you know he you know, they interrupted his teaching. He didn't even get after them, start calling on them, you know, and rebuking them because they did a little bit of damage to the roof. <laughs> Seems he approved of their unorthodox way that they did. I think it's very creative, is what they did. Okay, what are we going to do now? We can't get in the door. Let's go up the roof, figure out something. What gets me is they must have figured out where Jesus probably is at in the house and saying, okay, 10 feet over this way, 15 feet. Jesus is probably about cubits. right underneath here. What's that? Cubits. cubits. there you go, cubits, yeah. Much as a cubit from here. So, they dared to do the costly. I mean, people got to be making fun of the man... For them, or it's going, boy, those guys—you know—they hanging out with this guy. Um, somebody's going to have to pay for the roof repairs. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. You know, you know, these four men are the ones who, who did it, and yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't think about that, but I doubt that the homeowner's policy there was really covered for this <laughs> kind of situation. State Farm says, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, uh-uh. like, no, know? we're not taking that one." That's not in the policy. There you go. <laughs> but the people in the house, you know, we we did this. I don't know how many years it's been now. I think it might have been just one building ago, but I'm not sure. Didn't we do? We, oh, we did the Book of Mark. You will remember that? We did this story here. So sometimes we have repeats. But isn't it kind of neat when you go back through it again and you start getting some different insights from the way that the other writer has it too? You know. Well, we think of these people and we we think about ourselves here. If we're sitting in that house, imagine the surprise of the people in the house. You know, we've heard this story over and over, but you, you have to remember that they're sitting, standing around every wall. Jesus is preaching. What's he preaching? sin and repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's preaching about the kingdom. He's preaching the full counsel of God. That's what Jesus did. Well, fancy that. That's what He did. That's really what He did when He came here to earth. He preached the gospel, didn't He? Gave people hope, didn't He? Well, these people are hearing this they start hearing a little noise. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I don't guess there's fans running around in, in that room either. So, Jesus' voice has been speaking. Everybody's listening and you hear this noise. <laughs> you look up, maybe some stuff dangles down. It's dropping down on the floor. and Somebody says, hey, somebody up there. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you see this guy on his pallet on his bed there, and he's being put down softly down to the towards the floor. You can imagine. Did Jesus just keep on preaching or did He just kind of look up? <laughs> I know what this is about. <laughs> Thank you, Father. <laughs> it's time for You to be glorified again. This is quite the thing. And that he you know this hole is in the ceiling and it's widening, the pallet is being lowered down to the floor, and if you're just sitting here watching all of this and everybody's eye has gotta be looking up, right? I mean if something happened, you look for somebody on the roof right now, they're like, boom, 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 wouldn't everybody go like that? <laughs> and I'm sure they're saying, What are you? What are you guys doing? What are these guys doing? What? Some kind of terrorist activity? What's happening here? And the guy who owns the place has got to be saying, What are these guys doing? They're taking my roof apart. What if it's Peter? Can you imagine what Peter would be thinking? doesn't say in here because the story is not about Peter. It doesn't even say anything about Peter right here unless, you know, it's like we say, it could be his house and maybe it's not. But if it is, that's kind of ima- kind of imaginative, right there, isn't it? If he's seeing this happen, and whoever the owner is, he's going, hmm. Well, who's going to pay for this? Have you ever had any damage to your roof? Well, it costs a lot of money to get that roof. Happen- yeah, I saw a, a hand go up out there. Yep, yep, yep. We had. I have too. And it's it's kind of a bad thing when you see whenever it's raining real hard and you have drip. Drip. Actually, we as a unit had that happen back one building ago. <laughs> you know what? It hasn't improved over there. From what I understand, I think Audrey said it's a little bit worse. Yeah. And I don't think there's any men on pallets being <laughs> lifted down through there. Maybe that's what was going on. <laughs> yeah. Verse 20. We we'll read 19, but in finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, let him down through the tiles, with a stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Perfect aim. That's why it's pretty incredible. You know, he could have. Come, they could have just anchored him down somewhere a couple of feet from the wall or whatever. Wherever Jesus is at, they know that. Okay, this is pretty close, and he goes right in front of Jesus. I mean, perfect. Right. That's that's the way that the plan has to go. So verse 20 says, "Seeing their faith." Now, whose faith? He says, "Their." So it's not just the man on the stretcher, but it's these men, these friends of his and him. Not only four of them, are, you know. It's it's all of them there. All of them had faith. You, you know. You, and by the way, you don't get saved by proxy everyone has to have faith in Christ, right? It's his faith too. They all had faith here. It's more than just an ordinary faith because I think it's a very strong, persistent kind of faith to go up on that roof and do what they did. They had no clue that this was going to be written in a book and 2,000 years later that people would be reading all about this and having a little smile. <laughs> because you know, and isn't there a little bit of humor in all this? You know, in, in that, but there's something more than humor. And of course, you know, we take this reverently, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's just how these guys operated. And and uh, I would say they were very persistent. They knew that Jesus could heal this man, and there's nothing going to stop them. And this man says, "Fine with me." <laughs> We come to a high water mark in the ministry of Jesus here now. Verse 20, seeing their faith, He said, Jesus said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. This man hasn't said anything. He didn't say sorry about the roof. Don't see it here. But we see Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven you. And he calls him friend. I am a friend of God. We're friends. All those who, like Abraham, believed God are considered to be friends of God. Of course, not only friends, we are adopted children of God. But a friend is a really cool thing. We're talking really close friends. But Jesus' friend addresses him here. Your sins are forgiven you. We haven't been at this situation yet. Now, that's what Jesus has been preaching all along. Forgiveness of sins. Repentance, forgiveness of sins. But here is where Luke introduces forgiveness. This is what gets Luke's attention. Paralytic. Paralytic. There's faith already. Sometimes they don't have faith. He still heals them. There's different ways that God does there. But this, sins are forgiven. Luke jumps on this, and this is the focus of this whole passage. see all the humor, you know, and and the, the tile and the roof, and Pharisees, and the lawyers are there which is incredible that they're there. Why are you here? Well, Yeah, the healing is great, but that's only going to last for whatever the rest of your life is about. But the sins that are forgiven, this is where the Gospel message is goes to. You're a sinner. You have offended a holy God. You are not righteous. You are guilty. And what does a just judge do to the guilty? They have punishment. And according to the Bible, the punishment is eternal hell. Separated from God forever, right? That's the idea. But Jesus is pronouncing forgiveness. Nothing new. Then all throughout the Old Testament, Mercy is found all through the Old Testament. Grace is found all through the Old Testament. Love is found all through the Old Testament, isn't it? Everywhere you look. But some people miss it and really focus just on the New Testament alone. But isn't it nice to have the whole Bible? And so Jesus is doing what the Messiah does. He preaches bad news He preaches the law and then He preaches grace, forgiveness of sins. That was His message. You know what? That's our message today. Every day. Isn't it? That's what we're about. The message has never changed. It has never changed. Good news. Friend, your sins are forgiven you very blunt, straightforward, very open. We haven't heard that one before. If we just picked up Luke, Luke's readers are saying, wow, did did I just read what I thought I read? Your sins are forgiven. like that. The guy drops down, your sins are forgiven, and immediately people are thinking, okay, wait a minute. You don't have the right to go around saying... Your sins are forgiven, my son. You guys ever heard that anywhere in religion? You are forgiven, my daughter. That's what priests do in the Roman Catholic Church. The priests are the one who absolve sins. Folks, that is absolutely abhorrent. That is a situation that is blasphemy. As these Pharisees say, Right? Mm-hmm. Your sins are forgiven. How can you say that? That's blasphemy. Absolutely. None of us have the right. Now, we do, whenever somebody offends us, we say, I forgive you. They ask for forgiveness. I forgive you. But that's not forgiving sin and, and the nature of it. We, your offense, it's okay. And that is like, a, like Christ when we do that. We're, we're much like Christ when we have forgiven somebody who has offended us because that's what Christ did. But we cannot, nobody can forgive sins. It's only God. That's only natural. I mean, everybody knew that. Their theology is right on, and of course, every Jew would be that way. This is really critical right here. This is a very critical point. He's either God or He's a blasphemer. Do you see what He's reduced to? He's one of the two. There is no in-between about this man. They don't want to believe He's God. They don't want to believe that He can forgive sin. That's why you have this great big meeting of these lawyers come together. Because they're waiting for something like this to happen. Of course, they've already heard about the Sabbath healings in the synagogues. They want to kill Him. So there they are, and now they've come from every village, Judea, Jerusalem. You've got the bigwigs there, and they're saying... you. And the thing is, this is a quiet moment, and they're like, hey, this guy's blaspheming. He cannot forgive. Men can't forgive sins. See what he's done? See, he's not... Nobody hears them. They're talking amongst themselves. Matter of fact, all they'd have to do is go like this. <laughs> Jesus knows what's in the heart of man. He can read their minds. By the way, when you when you say forgive, forgive sin, what do you mean? What what what's what's the original word? Afianti. What does it mean? It means to send away. It means to dismiss. Your sins have been Sent away. Your sins have been dismissed. That's what Jesus just said. Everybody's thinking, you're healed. He says, your sins are forgiven. I think that's rather incredible. Of course, when you think of sin, oh, because the man is paralytic, that means he's a sinner. He did something. That sounds like Job's friend's. Just because somebody has contacted some kind of something or they're, they're having really a bad time, oh, they've done something. They've done something against God. We don't know that. We can't say... It. Generally, yeah, that's our nature. That is the problem. That, that's what the whole deal is, like the clock and the hands. You know, we can, we can turn back the hands or move them forward, but there's something that goes much deeper than that. It's like, is it the battery? Is it the little motor in there? What's going on? What's what's happening? Right? The root of the problem. the The problem behind it all. This is too easy, guys, isn't it? It's it's sin. It's the nature of sin. That's the reason. That's why there is sickness and paralysis and blindness and everything. You know, and and we get all those things all the way to the point of death. And all it does is remind us. Sin did that. Was it any particular sin? Not really. It's uh, God can do that sometimes to get our attention. Well, yeah, because of sin. Now you know there are consequences. I'm not negating that, but friend, your sins are forgiven. You not a particular sin. It's your nature. It's your it's your condition. And. Friend, your sins are forgiven. You, how, how far until till he dies? Well, the word is pluperfect in the Greek, which means it's a permanent condition. It's it's per, your sins are permanently forgiven, eternally forgiven. Did you like that, friend? Your sins are forgiven. I believe he wanted a heavenly healer, but I think this man wanted more than just that. Anyway, Jesus knew what He wanted. Jesus really knew what He needed, right? Jesus saw in this man's heart repentance. He saw that. And ultimately, I think every person hides sin, puts it in the back of their mind, don't want to think about it, avoid it at all cost, but they know there's a God and they know in some sense that they've done wrong. They need forgiveness. Forgiveness is a great thought, isn't it? All your guilt, all the things that you are ashamed of, and they have been dismissed perfectly, totally, forever, eternally, Jesus, by His own personal authority, absolves sin, guilt, permanently. People who trusted in Him for His own, who He has brought into the family. Jesus came to save who? Sinners. Which is everyone. He came to save sinners. So we go to verse 21. Isn't that great though? Friend, your sins are forgiven forever. The guy is still a paralytic. Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you? Or to say, Get up and walk. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So that you may know that, I know you don't believe it, but so that you know, he said to the paralytic, turns to him, says, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. So he's gotten his sins forgiven, which is eternal, and now he's gotten healed, which is for the temporary time in this body. What a blessing! Just like that. Double blessing. The skeptics have questions. These are the scribes, the Pharisees. Forgiveness of sins. Only God only can do that. It really bothered them. And you know what? It should have. It should have bothered them. Wait a minute. Only God can do that. They should have said, maybe He's God. Maybe He really is. I've heard about this. What do you guys think? Only God can forgive sins. They haven't seen anything yet. I would venture to say, even when they see it, it's still not going to change their minds. It never does, does it? Except for a select few. Your sins are forgiven. Let's cruise through a little bit of the Old Testament and let's look at this subject. Isaiah 43.25 as we narrow down to the end of our message today. 43.25 I, even I, and the one who wipes out your transgression. Imagine a board. It's got marks all over it. You come and take the eraser. It's gone. For my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. I'll never hold it against us. I'll never bring it up. We don't take that verse for granted, do we? Let's look in Psalm 32. This is a repentant psalm it's about being blessed of forgiveness and we'll take the first two verses how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven whose son whose sin is covered how blessed is the man to whom the lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. And then David goes and confesses his sin. But even that sin of adultery, murder, everything that goes with that, not confessing it to God for a year later, here we say how blessed it is to know that God does not impute. He does not count it against me. Banking term there, I guess you could say. It does not impute that iniquity. Acts 13.38 we see, or uh, by the way, go to Psalm 103, verse 12 first. 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. East, West, never shall the two meet. (laughs) You have an easterly direction, you have a westerly direction. hope I have my directions right. Well, that's how far he's saying. It's gone. Scriptures are right. Only God can forgive sins. They knew that. He just showed up. He forgave sins. A mere man can't do this. Nobody can. And of course, he backs it up. But he was either committing, at that time, the grossest of all blasphemies, really saying that he's God, or he really is Lord. And what they needed to realize, he is Lord. Should have gotten on their knees and repented. There's no other situation. Jesus reads minds... He knew what they were about. He knew what was in their hearts. He knew what they were thinking. You know what? We can never keep anything secret from Christ. Hebrews 4.13 says, All things are naked and open to the eyes of Him of whom we have to do. To Him belong what we see in Psalm 139. Every Christian should often study that. He knows what we're thinking. He knows where we're at. We cannot hide from God. Right? No imagination in our hearts is hidden from Him. He has the power to do and to know all of these things. There's not a word in our mouth that He doesn't already know. I think of Mark 2, verse 8. Immediately, Jesus, aware in His Spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Jesus often says that. He knows what they're saying. He knows what, or what they're thinking. He doesn't have to hear it. John 2.25 I have several scriptures. I'm just going to do a couple here. John 2.25 It's a classic one because He did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for He Himself knew what was in man. They were were believing what He did. I mean, they were believing the miracles because they were seeing it. But He knew what was in their hearts. Were they real true believers? No. Even though they had seen and heard things of Him. He wasn't entrusting Himself to them, it says in verse 24. So which is easier? Easier To say, your sins are forgiven or be healed? Well, it would be real easy to say, your sins are forgiven because you can't see what happens on the inside, right? So He could do that and get away with it. Or He could say, your sins are forgiven. But also, you're going to be healed. You're healed, which is which is easier? Well, actually, neither one of them is easy because it's impossible to forgive sins. It's impossible to heal somebody supernaturally in this sense. It had never happened. I mean, this, a lot of these people said, "This is a like this is something I've never seen before." Although many miracles have been happening. But they are possible with God. And both of them are. It's possible for a man to claim that he can forgive sins, but nothing happens. But Jesus forgives sins. Then He heals this man, this physical ailment. He did something visibly so they could see what happened spiritually on the inside. And look at the sensational cure now. We follow through with the end of this passage. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up. Pick up your stretcher, go home. And immediately he got up before them. Everybody's in the room. It's got you could hear a pin drop by now. Picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. He walks out of that house. He's glorifying God. And He's walking down the the street. People are lined up around there. And He's glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. They are awestruck. They are in fear. This could be a good thing because it could drive them to Christ. How about the Pharisees? We don't know. Maybe some of them <laughs> believed in Christ at the time. doesn't say. Most of them really don't. His own received Him not when it really comes to that time. Picture the scene. The scribes have not said a word. Nobody has spoken except Jesus. And now he tells the man on the pallet to stand up and then get his pallet. Start walking. man moves. He rises from his cot. He has sturdy legs. He's not wobbling or anything or taking a few moments, you know. Gets right up. Takes off. Makes his way through that crowded room. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. They're going... The crowd opens up. Astonishment. Outside is four friends meeting. (laughs) They weren't in there. Wonder what's going on in there. And this man comes out of the door. (laughs) He's saying, let's go guys. (laughs) Start glorifying God. He doesn't need their help in carrying his bed. He's carrying it by himself. People have been skeptics and unbelievers. There is a sense of amazement and awe. What happened with them? I'm not sure. Don't know. Maybe some became believers at that time. One day we'll see some of those people in heaven. One day Jesus said, Your sins are forg- forgiven, friend, son. It was forever. That's the Christian gospel. That's the good news. It's really basic, but don't ever take forgiveness for granted because we are not separated from God because forgiveness has been taken care of. Do you know that forgiveness? I say that to anybody who has not really trusted Christ. Have you experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? And if not, need to ponder on what we've just looked at. Have you received that forgiveness? Let's pray. Father, God, great God, what a story. It's really all about forgiveness. It's about the good news and to be released from the bondage of sin. Thank You for this day for the ones who have trusted You. You've put it into their hearts to trust You. For no man can see spiritually until You open them up. Lord, we pray for anyone who has not trusted in You that they would take this, ponder on it, think on it of who this man Jesus is. Either He is a blasphemer or He is God. And we are accountable to Him. And He's the one that gives us the good news and we will never be judged of our sins for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.